Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast video blog. I'm joined with Dr. Melissa Hall from QA Prep. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> but you're not just from QA Prep anymore. You now have a practice, and I was so excited that you agreed to do this talk because, or this, you know, interview because your journey is very non-traditional. And when I first met you, you wanted to do QA Prep, and you're like, Kelly, I'm not doing private practice. There's just no way. Yeah. And now look at you. You've got a private practice. Yes. So yes. let's talk about, let's just start there. How do you go from passive income? I guess you could say QA prep is, it's not passive. Let's just be real. There's, it's not it's passive. Not <laughs> it's not one-on-one. <laughs> right. And how did, what happened? What, how did you end up changing your mind? And what do you think about that? Usually people do the build the practice first and then add the other streams of income and you went the other way. Yeah. Yeah, which, and I know you guys have training on how to do that, actually. So, um, and I kind of used that training first. (laughs) Um, So I started QA Prep, which is um, a business where I help therapists with their documentation. So I teach people how to make it easier and more efficient and actually how you can possibly enjoy it even. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is all online. And it's kind of evolved over the last two and a half years. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. And when I started it, I really enjoyed all of the online stuff and um, getting into doing webinars. And I've always really liked training. So I knew that I wanted that to be a big piece of that and, um, you know, record trainings that I sell. Um, and I also had a full-time job. So that made it very easy. It was a really easy transition to be able to do the full-time job and then have, you know, trainings that were just online, write blogs on my own time, that kind of thing. So um, it worked out really well for my schedule because I actually made very, very good money in my full-time job. So it was difficult to leave that job. Yeah. Um, I was going to have to build up quite a business before I could leave that job. Uh, So I took a while building up QA prep. Um, and actually through that, I went to speak at the anxiety and depression conference, which was in Philadelphia in 2016. Totally recommend that conference. If anyone's looking for a, a good conference to go oh. to it's very interdisciplinary psychiatrists, social workers, MFT psychologists. Um, so I actually did a workshop there through QA prep, you know, talking about notes or something. And, being at that conference actually just kind of lit that fire under me again, where I was like, wow, all this, you know, the, the clinical stuff is so much fun. And I really do love talking about this. I love learning about it. Um, and I just, I came back from that conference really inspired. And, um, in my day job, I was working as a supervisor, so I wasn't doing, uh, clinical work every day. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I would sometimes, but not, you know, not consistently. 
So after that, I started kind of like thinking about it again. And I was like, maybe I could build up a practice. And my husband has always been very supportive and also has always been like, you should go back into private practice. I think you'd be so good at it. And you, you love the marketing stuff, which would make it easier. And, uh, and I'd always be like, no, 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 you know, I'm not doing that. Um, but then after that, after I came back in April and I was like, Hmm, maybe I, I could do that. And then he and I started talking and I was kind of bouncing ideas off of him. And he was like, so excited. He was like, I think you do such a great job having a practice. So, um, you know, he really encouraged me to jump, to, to jump into it. And, um, <clears throat> it's a little different, you know, starting a practice than starting an online business because you have to have a place for people to go. <laughs> <laughs> so like with QA prep, you know, I just, yeah, like right now I could just do everything from home. Um, all of that was getting more difficult, uh, actually. So with, you know, with his support, I then was like, okay, I'm going to invest the money. I'm going to get an office. Um, you know, I do have my, like an, a, bus, a business that's already going so I can, yeah. you know, justify that. So I went ahead and got an office and had a lot of fun, like decorating it, putting everything together. And, um, and we can even talk about how I you know chose how to do that in a fairly inexpensive way that I, mm -hmm. I really enjoy. Um, so yeah, so that's, so then I started my practice where I focus on coaching. Um, I don't actually do therapy in my practice right now. Um, I do coaching. I will be offering, um, ADHD evaluations in the next month though. Cool. So that'll be more psychological focused, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then, so you were saying it, it was getting more difficult to work from home. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> working from home worked really well when I wasn't like doing something like this, right? Like working, like trying to do a webinar from home. And then my husband would be like in the kitchen, which is directly. <laughs> right now. And I'm like, dude, people can hear you like opening the fridge. <laughs> or I'm wondering if people can, can hear him. Um, so it would be kind of distracting and, um, and we have, you know, we live in the LA area where it's pretty expensive. So we have a one bedroom apartment, um, you know, don't really want to have a two bedroom. So that, and then he started, he's a nurse and he started working nights. And if I do anything during the day, it's, it's fine usually, but I want to be, uh, quiet so that I'm not, um, you know, yeah. I'm up. And when I did a summit, I did a, a, a summit called the road to success summit a few months ago. And I was doing all these interviews for that. And I interviewed you for the summit. Yeah. And um, he mentioned, he was like, you're so loud when you're, <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know. I just get excited. Like I'm talking to people. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, just, you know, for the two of us logistically, like if I was single, it really wouldn't have been a big deal, but sure. Um, yeah you know, but with us, it, it just made it easier. It was like, okay, well we can either get a two bedroom apartment where I can have like my own office yeah. bedroom or we can get, uh, or I can get an office. And that's, that coincided with the time when I was thinking like, maybe I really do want to start a practice. So it was like, okay, well the sen sensible thing would be to just go ahead and get an office then. So you have QA prep, you had your full-time job. 
and then you decide, I'm going to do this other practice. How does that work with your scheduling? Yeah, it was uh, really sucky uh, <laughs> for, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, and it definitely made growing the practice a lot um, a lot longer, a lot harder. So like QA prep was already established. So I'm already, you know, those things were already set in stone. I'm already doing monthly webinars. Um, I already have people in certain programs or, you know, whatever. So that I couldn't necessarily downsize the amount of time I was spending on it. Mm -hmm. um, it takes up less of my time now than it did say a year ago mm -hmm. because I have a lot of things that I've already put in place, which is a great plug for if you do want to think about multiple income streams and passive income. I mean, it's the most amazing thing in the world to wake up and see that you made, you know, $300 overnight or, you know, be sitting doing something else or be at dinner and then, Oh, I made $59. Awesome. Um, so, so that it's, it's less of my time now, but, um, you know, starting a practice is a lot of work as far as, doing things like trying to connect it with people. So I wanted to do a lot of networking um, with people in the area. So with, you know, psychiatrists nearby, yeah. with, I don't see kids. So I wanted to meet up with child, uh, child therapists in the area. So, you know, we can collaborate. Um, so number one, just doing the research to find those people and see who I want to invest my time with. And then also, um, you know, like physically the time, like having to show up for coffee somewhere. Um, thankfully my full-time job at the time I was telecommuting. Mm -hmm. So I had a really fortunate position where I did have a lot of flexibility. So if I wanted to work five hours during the day and then work four hours, you know, or three hours or whatever in the evening, I could do that. If I wanted to work six hours on Friday and then work an extra two hours on Saturday, I could do that. So I used that flexibility mm -hmm. um, and it was something, you know, I talked to my boss about and I was like, okay, since I have this flexible schedule, here's what I'm thinking um, and how it would also benefit the company. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, since everyone in the program worked at all hours of the day, then that meant if I volunteered to do evening hours, you know, a lot of people were happy about it. So, um, so I did a lot of, rearranging my work schedule so that I could then plan to do certain things during the day for, for my practice. Let's just, I want to highlight that because from the time I've known you, uh, one of the things that I think has contributed to your success is your willingness to ask. So sometimes people are in jobs and they think like, this is how it is. This is the schedule. But it's that way because no one's ever challenged it or asked for anything different. And I remember you saying, like, you, like, negotiated in other jobs, like, how many days you commuted in, when you could work from home, you know, like, you asked. And I think if anyone's listening that's in a full-time job, you may get told no, <laughs> but you got to ask because you never know, like, and also proposing something to the benefit of who you're working for saying like, this is how it can also help you, you know, like let's make it a win-win I think is um, something that's of really valued that is to be learned here from your story. Totally. And I was told no um, mm -hmm. at my 
previous job. So the, the job I had when I first started QA prep um, and we were going through some transition at the company at the time. And, and I asked the boss who through default happened to be the CEO at the time, just because of some crazy stuff that happened. Um, and he was like, and he didn't say no, he said not now. Yeah. Um, and, and he, and so even when I got the no, he wasn't like totally opposed to it or, um, and he definitely wasn't, you know, upset that I asked about it at all. He was just like, you know, right now I don't think it's really going to work, but you know, let's talk about it in a couple months. Um, and actually right when I left that job, um, so one of the things I did after he said that was I started looking around for other jobs. <laughs> yeah. That would give me more flexibility, and and I found a telecommuting job. Um, now, funny enough, when I was leaving that one for my telecommuting job, uh, I I got a new boss, and that was one of the things she brought up. I wasn't even expecting that, and she even brought that up right away. And she said, "Does does the schedule work for you?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> I make it work, but I would like it to be different, you know." And um, and she was like, well, you know, we can talk about, you know, options for you to work at home one day a week or come in on different hours. So you're not dealing with traffic, that kind of thing. So, um, so even, you know, two months after I had made that request, uh, it actually could have happened at my other job too. Mm -hmm. so. Awesome. Um, my other question for you, uh, you had mentioned about like setting up the office and how you did. It. I'm just curious because I'm sure someone's like, I wanted to hear how she <laughs> decorated and all that. So let's go back to that when you're getting your office ready. And yes, you already have. I think it's funny, your mentality. We all have this like, I already have a business so I can justify the office. But actually, yeah. you need an office regardless. <laughs> like, I know. I know. Yeah. But um, so how'd you do it? So I, um, I actually got this advice from one of my friends who started her private practice years and years ago. Um, and she said, uh, and I asked her like, what made you decide to have your office there? And, and she said, well, I looked at where my clients were. And so that's where I, that's where I decided to have an office. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, that makes sense. Um, so I knew that I wanted to work with professionals, uh, people in management positions, things like that. And I live in Long Beach, the city of Irvine's really close by and has a ton of corporations. So a ton. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I should look for an office in Irvine. Looked around and there were typical therapy offices. There were, um, you know, just a bunch of different options. And then there were a lot of executive suites. Mm-hmm. And they were way cheaper than getting another office. And when I went, I was like, this is awesome because it has, they have a built-in receptionist. So eight to five every day, there's a receptionist there who, whenever I have someone come, come in, uh, they say, you know, oh, would you like some tea or coffee? And they'll go get my guests coffee or tea. And there's coffee and tea sitting there waiting for me that I can go get anytime I want. And, um, there's lots of waiting area. And I did feel out some places. So some places like the vibe was just very, very corporate. And while I want to work with professional people, I didn't want to be in that super corporate vibe all the time. Right. Um, so the particular building that I'm in is much more casual, but still professional. So um, it's a really great setting. And the office is small, but I don't need a giant office right now. So it worked really well. So I did that. And then I... Um, 
I just sort of crowdsourced a lot of furniture options on Facebook and like posted pictures and was like, what does everybody think of this couch? And, um, and then I did not go with the majority opinion. I went with the quality opinion. <laughs> um, which was another funny thing. So people will give you all kinds of, you know, everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so that was funny because the one that everyone voted for was, was not the one that I ended up cho- choosing. Right. But when I was looking at the people who chose the other couch, I was like, these are people who know their stuff and they're good. Um, and I didn't, uh, I didn't like scrimp with that. I, I did spend money uh, to get like a nice couch and a nice chair and a nice desk chair um, and nice paintings and things like that. So um, I decided, you know, this is the time to invest and, and spend money on this type of thing, even though it was a little, uh, it was a little scary and mm-hmm. definitely goes against what I've been doing with online stuff where everything is, it's super cheap to run an online business. Yeah. So. Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. Totally. Um, I actually looked at some of those executive suites in Irvine. Yeah, when I was looking for mine too. So there's some really, there's lots of different ways to do it. And I love how you say like everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> it's true. Even I have opinions, you know, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to what you love and, you know, what, what really makes you happy. And sometimes it's getting out of your comfort zone, like you're discovering, like, when you do online stuff, your expenses are a different kind of expense. And right. so moving from that kind of intangible, like it's software, it's a cloud. I can't see it or touch it into more physical things. Uh, it can kind of forget, like there is an importance to that. There is an importance to the couch. There's an importance to the chair you sit in. That was my biggest expense was my chair. Yeah. Cause I went all out on that thing. And I still have it, even though I'm in a virtual practice. Like, I would sit in that chair when I do therapy uh, at, in my house. But it's an important because it saved my back, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, and when you really think about it, if you were another, you know, if you were a medical professional or a ton of other businesses, all the things that they have to buy, mm-hmm. um, it's so much cheaper to it is. be practiced. It is. So, um, it really is. You Don't know, in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so much easier. The barrier to entry is so much lower. So, you know, I invested about uh, $3,000 total yeah. in getting everything set up. Yeah. Um, and I did it over, over a couple of months. So I didn't like decorate everything and get it all set up the very first week. I sort of, piecemealed it a little bit. Um, but that's about how much I spent and I'm pretty happy. So I know people are going to be wondering, 
how do you define coaching and how is that different than therapy? So I'm going to put it on you because I get asked that question all the time, but I would love to hear from someone who's also doing it. Yeah. Um, I think, and it's funny because I interviewed you about this very thing. Um, <laughs> I know I get to flip the tables. <laughs> I know. And one of the things that really, it's funny, it stood out to me from that interview with you is that there, there is some crossover, you know, it's not just like, yeah. this is always coaching and this is always therapy. So for me, when I was deciding what I wanted to do, I thought about the type of work that I like to do with people. It's very action oriented. Um, I like to give people homework. I want to make sure that people are enacting things that we're doing in the session in their week. I also don't want to limit contact outside of sessions, which is a lot more non-traditional. So for me, if I'm working with a professional who is, um, you know, struggling as they learn how to become a manager, I want them to be able to call me if they're freaking out before a meeting. And I'm not going to say, nope, we have to wait until our next, our session on Wednesday at four. Like I want to be able to have a, you know, a quick 10 minute conversation with them to just get them up to speed and, and kind of hype them up a little bit and, or remind them of what we've talked about. And then, you know, they can go onto their meeting and, um, that to me is just how I like to work. I, I want to be able to email people like an article I see that reminds me about them. Um, and those things all just sort of fall into coaching more than they do therapy because it is a lot more focused on action. Um, it's a little bit more focused on me actually giving people not advice, but sort of like different ideas or almost like brainstorming. It is. Um, that's a coaching stance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, while I am still using those skills of helping people come to their own conclusions and obviously finding out what they value and, um, and how we can use that when we work together, I'm also saying, Hey, check out this person or, Hey, here's this strategy or have you thought about this? Yeah. Um, and I like doing that. So I decided I felt like it was a lot easier to do that in a coaching capacity than to do a lot of those things in a therapy, in a therapy capacity. Um, I think too, like, um, coming from our education system, maybe that's all we knew, you know, in the beginning was if you want to help people in this way, you become a psychologist, you become a therapist, a counselor. And now, um, that even though when you and I went to school, coaching was around, it was not, is prevalent, especially if you're coming no. from an education kind of background or academia and that's really valued for me in my household, that was really valued. So it's like, okay, the next logical step is where in academia, can I get this knowledge to help people? Um, so some people, and maybe if you're listening, you go through school, um, you do enjoy the relationship with a client but you're discovering the way you work, who you want to work with. It isn't really therapy. It's coaching. And I think uh, giving yourself permission to do that is a big hurdle for some people, but it's well worth it because it's more honoring, you know, you just didn't know when you started that that was an option to go to as well. Coaching training that you went through the whole getting a student loan. And <laughs> I know. And I don't know if you've seen that video on YouTube about, um, it's one of those like 
robotic where it's cartoon people and the, the robot voices type of thing. Um, and it's a person who's like an undergrad going to their advisor and talking about, Oh, I want to become a psychologist. And, and the advisor is a psychologist and saying, why do you want to become a psychologist? And they go through all these reasons. And at the end of it, basically the advisor says, well, why don't you just become, you could just become a life coach. And the students like, I am now a life coach. (laughs) Like, like that's it. (laughs) It is kind of funny. And there was a period of time, like a brief moment of time where I was like, man, yeah. Like, why did I do all that stuff? But, um, but still the experience I have is really valuable. Yeah. And to the people who want to work with me. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't have to worry about doing, I did not do any kind of like coaching certification or anything. I was like, I know how to do this stuff. And, um, obviously I've kind of thought through myself and then researched as well, the difference between coaching and therapy. So I don't cross those, those lines too much, but, um, I was like, yeah, okay. I have a lot of really good experience. I have a lot of really good training. It makes me a very good coach or a good therapist. Um, yeah, it's not all for naught. You know, it's just, that's how you circumvent it around to it, not knowing that there's other ways to do it. And you and I both are on the same page where just by calling yourself a coach does not make you a coach. And for me, I did a little extra training, um, just understanding the difference. Um, So if you're not clear, that's something that I really recommend you do. If you're not clear on those delineations, you get some help, whether that's through, um, separate training or some consultation so that you're, you're being ethical. And, um, because even in the coaching industry, uh, especially in some of the very respected schools, it is important that there's ethics and there's, you know, we, they don't want you to do therapy. They they don't want you to just call yourself something. So, you know, so, um, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's encouraging for other people to hear that part of your story of like that permission of like, wow, this is how I like to work. And then you were telling me before we got on the call that you've been doing some contract work as well, which I wanted to highlight if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So sometimes people are like, I'm going to be a contractor. And what they forget is that as a contractor, you're still, you still own a business. You're just being your business is being hired to contract for a service. And so that's another thing that you've been doing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I knew, um, when I left my job that I wanted to have something to sort of help float me. So QA prep is fairly consistent at that point. I, I could count on a certain amount of income from that. Um, and my husband and I decided together kind of what was the minimum, income that I need to bring in. And then I had to look at my business and say, okay, how much can I actually bring in as income mm-hmm. for my business? So, you know, like paying myself. Um, and that's one thing, you know, I haven't really paid myself at all the last two and a half years. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, and if you talk with a lot of actually business people, they'll, they'll say that kind of thing that, you know, you spend a lot of time investing back in the business. Obviously my growth was slower because I was working full time that whole time, but, um, but that's something to consider too. So I was investing a lot back into the business or saving up in the business so that I could do things like, well, there's paying taxes, but then, um, you know, plan ahead for when I wanted to do something big. 
And I'm glad that I had that surplus when I, you know, wanted to decorate my office and everything. So I've always been, um, in the black. I've never, you are a saver though. And you do pay attention to your money. Like that is, I know you enough to say like, yeah, yeah. You are conscientious and aware of your funds and you have like all these plans and you save and it makes you, it makes it easier for you to make decisions because of that. It does. It makes it a lot easier, easier to say no to things because sometimes it's just like, well, I, I can't afford that. So I can't do it. I don't have a business credit card. Um, right now I do think I'm going to get one this year, but, um, but that means literally everything I've bought, the money has been in the bank to buy it. Yeah. So, um, so that was really, really beneficial. Um, let's see, getting back to the original question. So contracting, so I had already decided, so I already knew, you know, how much I needed to have a surplus basically to pay income to myself, you know, to contribute my portion to the, our monthly bills. Um, and so I decided what I'd like to do is have a contract position work one or two days a week. And if I did that with the contract position, I could really make that money to contribute to our monthly bills Mm -hmm. just with that position. Mm-hmm. And that way I could continue building up the practice. Um, I do still plan to pay myself, but I wanted to make sure I had something a little, like some, a little something on the side that could help. Um, because again, I did make very good money at, at my job. And so if you're somebody who's making pretty good money, it makes it hard, harder to leave. So, um, so that helped not like drastically reduce the amount of income we were getting each month. Um, in the county, we call that the golden handcuffs. That was always the joke. Well, are you going to open up your own business? No, I have the golden handcuffs, which meant like I've invested in a pension. I have like all these benefits. It's very hard to, it's hard to leave that. And you know, it's not for everybody either. Yeah. So So this is something I also, uh, I want to highlight about your story of, that there are ways, other ways to have your business feel more secure. Um, Cause some people don't love a lot of risk or that feeling of like jumping off the cliff and saying, I have faith and um, not that you don't have faith, but there's also a part of you that's very much like, I want to plan. And I like to see that just to know that this is here until I can do the next step. And I want to say that takes a lot of patience. I think that that's something that we can all, I, I admire about that, that about you is that you are patient and you are like, this is the bigger picture and it's not going to happen overnight. And these are the steps I'm taking and little by little I'm getting there. And that patience really does pay off. Yeah. And I will say that was not by choice. (laughs) Um, So, you know, yes, I'm married and at this point my husband's working, but up until about six months ago, he's cool. So most of the time, um, you know, I have been the, the breadwinner and it has not been, it was not an option for me to quit my job. So like, it wasn't even an option for me to do this last year. Um, so that's something to know too. Uh, I think at this point, you know, again, I'm getting to the place where like, okay, I could have transitioned to like a contracting position. And so I think it is about thinking through all the different options you have, knowing that yes, you do, you probably will have to be patient. It might take longer than you need. 
um, or not longer than you need, but longer than you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know with your boot camp, you know, it's boot camp. It's like two weeks, super intensive stuff. And you, you get all the stuff done for your business. Um, but like you mentioned, some people do get, you know, like five new clients during that time or whatever, but most people don't. It's, it's long-term yeah. investment. You see the investment from that like six months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're someone like me who's working a full-time job and for a while I was working a full-time job and commuting a good distance too. So it was like 50 hours a week mm-hmm. of my time. Then I don't have as much time. I didn't have as much time to invest. Yeah. And so that means the progress is going to be slower. So you just have to expect that. And I think for a while I was really unhappy because I, I wasn't expecting it. And then it just sort of kept being really slow. And then I was kind of like, okay, well, this is going to be really slow <laughs> and, um, and adjusted. Mm-hmm. And then I did take a lot of those steps of like getting the job that was telecommuting and yeah. now having a contract position. And then eventually I won't be contracting with anybody at all. And I'll solely be working for myself. But yeah. There are a lot of steps along the way. I think people don't, this is the reason why we say comparisonitis will kill you because no one knows all these little backstories as to how you got to where you're going and what's really happening behind the scenes. So I think I really appreciate you sharing your story and letting people have a peek into another way of doing practice and another way of going about it that fit into what was going on in your family life and you know, all of that stuff, like it all came together over a long period of time. And someone could look at you just like some people look at uh, Kelly and Miranda, you know, and think like, Oh, it just, no, it didn't happen. There was, <laughs> there were, it didn't happen overnight. There was some weeks where I worked a lot of hours, you know, and um, there's a lot that goes into to building up your business. So thank you for sharing all of your story. Before we go, I want to ask one more thing. Um, For someone that's thinking about doing their own practice, what is one piece of encouragement you have for them? Yeah, I think just like what we were talking about, to be patient and know that you won't see the fruits of your labor right away, which can be really frustrating. Um, Even now in my practice, you know, I I don't have that many clients in my private practice. because my growth was slower when I first started out. And now I'm like, I can be a lot more in it. Um, But I know that things like networking, those are things that pay off six months, 12 months from now. Um, It's, it's a long-term battle. It's not something you're going to do really quickly. Uh, Some people do, and that's awesome. So it's great. Uh, But you can't, I don't think you can expect it. I don't think it's realistic. You have to instead plan for the long term. Okay, how much can I do? Um, how many hours can I invest every week for the next year versus how can I just power through this month and get a bunch of clients? No, think about how, how can you sustain it for a year or more? That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing everything. And there's lots of nuggets of wisdom in here. So if people want to get in touch with you or give you a shout out, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can 
visit either one of my websites. <laughs> so uh, QA prep, which most people listening to this probably be more interested in, which is, you know, where I help people with their documentation. Um, so just www.qaprep.com. Um, if you do want to check out my coaching practice, um, it's my last name. So hall coaching group, um, dot com. Pretty easy to remember. Um, I know I was like, like checking out other people's websites and stuff and seeing what, what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so either one of those and you can contact me and it just, it sends me an email either way. If you want to have questions about anything. Great. All right, guys, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for giving us your time and listening in on our conversation. And we hope that you take something away from this convo and implement it in your own life. And if you would love to share what that is, please comment below if you're on the blog or uh, post on our Facebook wall if you are listening on the podcast. And we will see you again soon. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.